0: There are many unexpected things in life. We all know this from our own experience. Today in my life was no different. I planned to sit down and to write a homily on for tonight, for the commemoration of the faithful departed. Well, life has a way of interrupting plans. My car didn't start, and then it got a boost from CAA, and then it didn't start. And then I got a boost from CAA, and then it died on the on-ramp to the 403 uh, when we were on our way to go pick up a battery in Ancaster. So the van is dead, but it's at the car doctor now. But then I got thinking about this, and I was reflecting to Natalie, I said, well, there goes my day. And she said, well, you'll just have to talk about that then. (laughs) And I said, would you want to hear about that? She said, no, not really, since I'm living it right now. But there was wisdom in what she said about the applicability of the lesson, I guess you could say, for today, the lesson of the unexpected turns that life takes. And of course, the most unexpected turn in any of our lives is the death of a loved one. Even the loved one, a loved one whose death we are anticipating, who we know their death is closer than not. The moment of their death still sends us reeling. As much as we participate, or anticipate it happening, we are still finding ourselves in a place of mourning and of grief. Even if those who we remember have long since passed from this world into the next. The unexpectedness of death is always something that lingers. It makes us aware of our own mortality, of our own Limitations of our own eventual deaths. And none of this is very particularly comfortable. But for Christians, it's a different sort of thing. Not to say that the sting of death isn't very real, not to say that the need to grieve and to mourn well aren't an important part of the grieving process. They certainly are. But as St. Paul reminds us, we grieve not as a people without hope, but as a people with hope. Our hope is founded on nothing less than the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead into eternal life. Our hope is founded not merely just because Jesus did this, but he did it on our behalf. Our hope is that death does not get the final word because God remembers those whom he has called those who belong to him. We see this remembrance throughout the scriptures, throughout the story of Israel, throughout the story of the early church, where God remembers his people. It almost becomes a refrain in the scriptures. And God remembered. There's something important about this that is especially poignant as we celebrate all souls. The idea is not that God ever forgets, that God can kind of walk away and leave the room and be like, oh, there was something I was supposed to do. Oh, yes, I remember I needed to save those people. Rather, in the scriptures, when it says that God remembers, it's underlining the fact that God never forgets. So it is natural, you could say, for us who are created in God's image to be creatures who remember. It's part of our wiring, you could say. It's part of the way that God made us. He made us as people who remember because God is a God who remembers. But our memory is fallible. Our memory can come and go especially with age, the onset of dementia, or Alzheimer's, or in my case, I can't remember many things. And it dawned on me recently that my memory is so bad that it doesn't matter if something happened 40 years ago or 40 minutes ago, I have no way of gauging how long ago something was. If it's in the past, it's in the past, even if it's something that just happened. There's no way I have of gauging But in thinking of this, I thought, well, that's kind of maybe an image for God's remembrance. Because if God is the God who is eternal, the God who never forgets, the past is not merely the past, because God is eternally in the present. So God's remembrance is a remembrance that is continual, a remembrance that does not fade, a remembrance that is lasting. So inasmuch as we celebrate all souls, inasmuch as we remember the dead by having funerals, by gathering at grave sites, our memories do fade. Our memories are fallible. But the God who made us is a God who always remembers. God remembers us because of his great love for us. There is not a time that God does not remember us. There is not a time that God does not love us because God is the eternal now. So part of gathering today is to gather together to pray for the faithful departed, to remember them. And it's natural for us as Christians to pray for one another. We have a prayer team at St. James. We have people that check in and ask, how can we pray with you and for you? Praying for others is an important part of our faith. And we believe that we can also pray for those who have died. Now, you may be thinking, well, that doesn't sound very Anglican, and I assure you it is, in fact, very Anglican. In fact, it goes back to the oldest Christian traditions to pray for the dead. You see, the problem, I think, when we kind of chafe at the idea of praying for the dead is because we are seeing the difference between life and death from a worldly perspective. We see the difference between life and death as being on which side of the ground you were on, if you were on the right side of the ground or the wrong side of the ground. But as Christians, we should see the difference between life and death in completely different terms, not from the worldly perspective of death and decay, But from an eternal perspective, a heavenly perspective, we see from the perspective of eternity that God will not lose any of those who belong to Him. You see, the dead, the faithful departed, those who belong to Christ are right now, at this moment, more alive than you and I. And that is the difference that matters. They are more alive than us. When we in the creed profess that we believe in the communion of saints, this is exactly what we are professing to believe. That our loved ones who have faithfully served Christ and followed his way are not mere worm food buried somewhere or in, a cremated, in cremains in an urn somewhere, but that their souls through the mercy and the remembrance of God, are more alive right now than us here gathered. And that's the source of our hope. That as much as our own deaths are not something we're necessarily looking forward to, our hope is that we will be more alive in the fullness of the presence of God and that our bodies, too, will one day, when Christ returns, be resurrected And this is why we pray for the dead. Because we are expressing our love for our departed ones, our departed loved ones, as much as we pray for the living. Because if we pray for the living whom we can see, why wouldn't we pray for the dead who are more alive than us right now? When we pray for the departed, we are expressing our firm conviction that as Christians, we are all one family in Christ, living and departed, that we are united by the God who makes us and will restore us to the fullness of who we are, that we are all made alive in Christ. We died, so to speak, on the day of our baptism. We were buried with Christ, and therefore we were resurrected to Christ. And our baptisms are but a mere foretaste of that eternal life that Christ promises to all. Our life on this earth is a preparation and a journey toward our eventual death, but that is not the end. For the Christian, death is a mere transition point into the fullness of eternal life with God. This is why we come into a darkened church We see the glimmer of the lights that remind us of the souls of the faithful departed are in fact alive and burning with the light of Christ. But the chancel area is fully lit to remind us that we are pointed and oriented toward the eternal life that Christ offers to all his faithful servants. In praying for the dead, we are seeking the support of our brothers and sisters on that journey. Those who walk with us here on earth and those who have already gone on before us, commending us all to the memory of God. We pray for our loved ones not because we think that we're trying to bribe God, but we are no. We do so because we know that we are loved and that we are remembered. The Anglican C.S. Lewis once wrote beautifully about the practice of pray, praying for the departed, and he wrote, quote, "Of course, I pray for the dead." The action is so spontaneous but inevitable that only the most compulsive theological case against it would deter me. And I hardly know how the rest of my prayers would survive if those prayers for the dead were forbidden. At our age, the majority of those we love best are dead. What sort of intercourse with God could I have if what I love best were unmentionable to him? End quote. My friends, we remember the faithful departed because God remembers them and us in his eternal love. It is the love of God which unites us with our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. It is that love that is the source of our hope and it is that love towards which we move. So let us pray here and now and for the remainder of our earthly lives for the faithful departed. For our loved ones who have gone on before us, that we may fix our eyes on our heavenly reward, knowing that we will be reunited, reunited with them one day, because God remembers us. Amen. Amen.